Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. And good morning, everyone. This is uh, Pat Harridan from Lockton in Boston sitting in. And as folks know, regular listeners, when I am hosting or substitute hosting, I normally talk about insurance and employee benefits. Today, no exception, but going to expand it a little bit and talk a little bit more about human resources or people. So I've got two great guests. The first hour, I will have Amanda Bailey, who is the VP of HR at Boston University here in Boston. Good morning, Amanda. How are you? Hi, good morning, Pat. Great to be here and join you this morning. Yes, thank you. And uh, thank you for, uh, see, I told you, you didn't have to drive down here in the in the weather. <laughs> it makes it much yeah. better. I was thinking ahead, not knowing we'd have some weather today. Glad you did that. Great to be here. Yes, no no problem. So Amanda, and the reason is, as I thought about this show and talking with Amanda and and Amy Roberts, who's a guest an hour or two, a lot of times people ask me, as I'm sure they do with you, Amanda, hey, what do you do for a living and what do you do every day? And my answer is always with, hey, we work with VPs of HR, chief human resources officers, benefits people, and helping employers design and implement employee benefit plans. It's like, oh, that's great, but what's HR? So I thought I would get a couple of experts on HR because another thing, and I was talking to someone yesterday about this, yeah. Amanda, the some of the times some people only see HR when they're first hired and may never yeah. speak to them again. Other people... Yeah need HR for certain life events, like a verification of employment, they're doing their open enrollment, but no one really understands it's a 12 month a year, 24 seven job. I wanna, I'm gonna ask you some questions and talk about things that that you do at Boston University, obviously a very unique employer in mass, and also a couple of things you're probably passionate about in, in human resources. But as they always say, let's start at the beginning, Amanda. What, give us a, introduce us to the, introduce yourself to the listeners so they get a flavor of who you are, where you came from, and then I'll ask you a couple of questions about how you, how you got into HR, because as we all know, very few people go to school to be in HR. But just give us a little bit of your background and history, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, sounds great, Pat. Looking forward to talking a lot about HR, which I really love. As you mentioned, I serve as the uh, Vice President for HR at Boston University currently, and I've actually been in HR a very long time, 30 years this year. I've been, yeah, absolutely. Started from the bottom as an individual contributor in HR, so love to talk about this work and the great impact that it has on organizations and on individual lives every day. And so I've been working in the education sector in both K-12 where I started and now in higher ed for about 20 of those 30 and uh, moving organizations forward during this time as I've also been a part of a field that has clearly evolved very quickly, not just with the pandemic, but growing every day in a more, much more strategic business operation sense. So 
I've been able to really grow my career very, very robustly, I'd say, learning a lot over the years to where I am now. So very happy to be serving Boston University today. And, and for people who are, there's also a fair amount of people, because I teach a course at, at Framingham State on benefits for people who are actually going to school to get their master's in HR. So there are a fair amount of people hopefully listening or will be listening um, yeah. that want to get into HR. Talk about the day in the life. But I have to ask, Amanda, I'm hoping that I'm, hoping that I'm correct. I'm going to guess your major was not in human resources in college. <laughs> That's exactly right, Pat. That's a great. That's a great point. You're you're so right that most HR professionals have found their way into HR, and that has been one of those evolving facets of HR over the past few decades that have shifted. We now have many institutions. In fact, almost every single institution offers some either certificate program or an actual degree program at, at the baccalaureate level, at the undergraduate level in human resources. And no, I didn't. I actually... <laughs> started up pursuing a business administration degree in international marketing and ah. moved over, yeah, to to finalize my major of study in English. And I, I still fondly remember my dad saying, you speak English, why do you need to major in English? I, yes. I still remember those fond days, but I had a real love for arts, fine arts and literature. And it was amazing in learning how to critically think about anything. Those skills really helped me as I segued into a field of study that, as you said, wasn't codified as well 30 years ago. No, it, it certainly wasn't. And it's even still, not in its infancy, but it's still not, it's not there yet. And we have great organizations, SHRM and CEBS and the International Foundation, all a bunch of these places that help us with education at the post postgraduate level. But, but no, you're right. And for the listeners out there too, the other thing I wanted to convey is as because everyone out there has either been an employee, maybe they're a retiree now, but they've been an employee or are applying to jobs. What is this HR function? What is it that you guys do? But give everyone who may not be familiar, hopefully everyone is, but probably people don't know the scale. So Boston University from a size, number of employees, number of locations, what's your your uh, sphere of influence? (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Pat. Really well said. Influence is wide (laughs) at Boston University. I am so honored to have been appointed in this role to lead the HR teams at Boston University for almost two years now. And we have 11,000 employees, nearly 11,000 employees, full-time and part-time employees. That does not include our partners who work for Boston University on a temporary basis. We, Boston University has three campuses. I often love to call it as Boston, the city of Boston's university. are just about everywhere in the metro proper area of Boston. And we have a Fenway Park campus. We are a medical campus as with our affiliate is Boston Medical Center is our affiliate. And we also have our Charles River campus where we just launched and unveiled the beautiful, stunningly beautiful Center for Computing Data Sciences building. And if you're anywhere along Commonwealth Avenue, Sunrise or Sunset, you'll see that gorgeous building smack in the middle on the the adjacent to the Charles River. Finally, our students call it the Jenga building. We love it. It was designed as a stack of books to represent our academic mission every day. 
Oh, interesting. I have not been down that way in a while, but I will definitely well, come on down. I will definitely check it out. So, Amanda, we talk about HR differently, and obviously, as human resources, at least that term, human resources, probably been around for a long time. As other organizations call that, the division people or people officer or chief something uh, under so you're in charge of what BU is considering human resources what are the different like departments underneath you that roll up to HR so give people a flavor of kind of everything that it's all encompassing Yes, that's a great question, Pat. We are the people, right? I always feel like to share that with my colleagues who, like you said, don't really understand what we do. And so when they ask a little bit more, I still keep it really vague because it's challenging to often share it. But I do like to either say we're the people people or we're the people when you have a situation. Mm-hmm. We're the situation room people. Like you want us in the situation room with you regardless of what situation you're going through. So I oversee about 100 employees on a daily basis and I have teams and move our organization forward every single day and they govern our uh, administration work of DEI programs we have a performance management team we have a compensation team that oversees data and systems making sure that the data for all of our employees is accurate every single day we actually recently launched a data analytics team which is representative of where HR is going and where it needs to be today as you mentioned Pat with us being partners space of benefits We have a very large benefits operation. Finley Boston University has its own faculty staff assistance office. We have colleagues dedicated every day to support counseling, mental health counseling or referrals for mental health counseling and those issues. We have at Boston University, our faculty and staff have the great honor and benefit of having their take get care for our children's center. So for all children pre-K up to age five, we have a children's center that falls under our benefits team as well. And of course, we have a talent recruitment services team, which we're super excited about, where every day they are moving towards identifying qualified applicants for BU who are interested in working, hiring them as quickly as possible, (laughs) and onboarding them to give them the best experience that we can. And then finally, we have an organization development and learning team, and they move forward every day all of our digital and in-person learning programs for our employees. So it's pretty expansive, to say the least, but it is certainly representative of all of the different facets, as you mentioned, Pat, that affect employees every single day. And our job is to offer those services for our employees so their jobs can be servicing our students every day. That is what we do. And that's, I think, that's a very good theme, Amanda, that I hear a lot is a lot of organizations, especially now, and we'll talk about the pandemic in a minute, because I know you weren't at BU during the beginning of the pandemic, but you were still in higher ed. But... But just the fact of when people come to work or when people are, now that we're hybrid, some of us, and when people are working, we want them focused on work and all the other stuff, whether it's benefits, as you mentioned, children, mental health, all those things. Having someone to help with that is, and that's what I said, like most people don't experience or don't even acknowledge, unfortunately, human resources until there's a need. No one comes by and says, hey, guys, doing a great job, don't need anything, (laughs) and and keep, keep walking. 
They're there for, hey, can you verify my employment or how do I enroll in this benefit or where do I get that? And a couple of other things, I'm not 100% sure, Amanda, but just for people's knowledge base, the other things that probably would fall under you would be something like, do you guys have, you guys have unions, so it's labor kind of relations yeah, exactly piece? That's what I was going to mention. Oh, yeah, okay, that's good. Who, yeah, that's <laughs> you mentioned it. When we were talking about the pandemic, I specifically wanted to call that out separately yeah. to your point, yeah. because we have a fairly robust representative population, and our representative employees worked so incredibly hard during the pandemic. And you're right, I wasn't here at the beginning, but I can guarantee you that all of my HR colleagues, we were talking almost every day, every single one of them were essential workers pretty much, our, rep- our represented employees. And so, yeah, we manage with about 10 represented groups today. I'm moving towards 12 and working on that every day. And the, the group of people, to your point, Pat, that really needed our help during those times were our HR business partner, employee relations side. And so we, I covered a team there as well. And those are the situation room people who often don't really know where to go. And so an employee will call an HR business partner or their local HR representative, and they call our employee relations HR business partners, and they pivot them to the appropriate services that will help them get their situation resolved. But those are the situation room people, for sure. Our labor relations and employee relations folks are at it every single day, working to either guide or navigate our employees to solutions that will get them the right service, the right program, the right individuals, so that, as you said, they can get back to work every day. Yes, no, critical, not only during the pandemic, but just now. It's a little bit of a changed world. For our listeners, I'm talking with Amanda Bailey, who is the Vice President of Human Resources for Boston University here in Massachusetts. Two more foundational questions, and then we'll get to some topics. And I I do want to cover a little bit on benefits, since that's my thing. But one of the things that I always, in higher ed, because I do a lot of work in, in the public sector, which is cities, towns, states, and counties, And the uniqueness of the population that human resources has to serve in a city or town is very unique, right? You've got police, fire, then you've got schools, you've got city workers, you've got medical, in some cases, professionals. But a college is no different. In other words, you have a police force. You have, Mm -hmm. and in your unique in that you have a medical campus, so you do have doctors similar to UMass and all that, but you've got faculty, you have staff, you have police, you have cafeteria workers, you've got administration, you've got all these different, and obviously you've got, as you mentioned, you've got a fairly large, probably part-time or adjunct faculty. You've got a bunch of different people to serve, so that makes it a little bit more difficult and obviously the fact that you have 11,000 people just is probably uh, some of our HR people who are working in small to mid-sized companies are probably thinking oh my god how could I do 11,000 but you said you have 100 employees under you so that 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 helps but you do have a very unique population and also again you're provide your ultimately the goal of BU is obviously to educate students your Everything about a university is, at least in my mind, looking at it from the outside and most people who don't work in higher ed, it's unique. You just have a very, you're a very formulatic way of doing things. You've got obviously very good people. You've got, I'm on your, I'm cheating a little bit, Amanda, Mm -hmm. I'm on the HR site and I'm looking at the open positions 
Yeah. And I, I've been scrolling since you're talking, and I haven't stopped. <laughs> there's a lot. It's, apparently, there's a lot of open positions at BU. Yes, there are. <laughs> That's exactly right. We have we have about 400 not easy moving 11,000 individuals, as you said, Pat. Right. There's tons of movement, and it, the way I look at it, to your point. If we're doing our jobs, doing it correctly, then our employees are moving up. They're developing their career at BU. And that leaves a vacancy open for somebody else to join us. And they're, so, and they're retiring, yeah. right? At some, at, Absolutely. At, at probably, a, maybe maybe not a, an increasing rate, but probably at a high. We see it in the private sector that, you know, people are retiring maybe earlier than they had planned, not because they're financially ready, just they want right. to retire and do other things, maybe work, move to part-time or something like that. Absolutely. All of those things do impact why we end up having vacancies, and we always want to welcome applicants from just every corner, and we do. We have places for them, different types of lifestyles that meet our employees' needs, whether, like you said, it's a part-time employment opportunity, full-time or term limited, just temporary to do some consulting work or temporary work with us. It runs the gamut and you are correct in terms of understanding all of this, the, the pieces that go together. And because we're a service organization, I've always shared even with my own teams that we don't get front. We don't get the front lines, right? We don't right. get the. It's because we service, as you said, we are we're a city in a city of itself. We have the police, we have doctors, we have emergency essential workers, as I mentioned before, across our community. So we run twenty four to serve our students, our residential life advisors, and residential staff who support our students are there weekends nights, just like our police department oh, yeah. weekends and nights, because we have to provide that safety to our parents and confidence in what we do for our parents to know that they can trust their trust all of us to support their students and make sure our kids are getting their education in a community and through the life experience that we want them to develop at the end of their four years and culminates in that wonderful thing called commencement every year. Yes, which is which I want to talk about too because that's probably been a challenge at least a couple of years ago. And for those listeners, we're talking with Amanda Bailey, who's the VP of HR at Boston University. And after the break, Amanda, I want to get into a little bit about benefits, and I think we want to talk a little bit about maybe long-term care and some of those other yeah, yeah other benefits that you're passionate about, but also that most people don't don't think about. So we will yeah. we will continue our conversation with Amanda after the break. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We are back. Again, this is Pat Harridan sitting in for Mike and the team. I am speaking with Amanda Bailey, who is the Vice President of Human Resources at Boston University here in Boston. And first half hour, we laid a little foundation, found out a little bit about Amanda and her journey to BU. And now, Amanda, just wanted to pivot a little bit and just talk a little bit about benefits, because as I mentioned in the open, most people, right or wrong, equate equate human resources with benefits because that's the thing that touches them most every day. Obviously, I'm literally, again, I'm still cheating, but I'm looking at the (laughs) HR 
website. And I would encourage listeners because you do, unlike most other, most people are required now, but you do have good salary information on there too. Yes. <laughs> but you do have the HR page at BU has the careers, but also all the different things that you do from onboarding to retirement. But as I mentioned, most people equate HR and benefits because, you know, they're they're probably using their benefits, whether it's their medical, dental, disability, uh-huh. retirement plan, at least seeing those more frequently than some of the other annual reviews or, like I said, verifications or things like that. But before I get to that, two quick things. From a COVID perspective and in HR, obviously, huge, you, that's probably a whole show, but just from your point of view, obviously, even prior to when you got to BU, how did that sort of impact the benefits? How how can a university adjust to what the private sector is doing, like with all these remote and flex time? Probably a little harder to do yes. at a university. Yeah, so you're spot on. You're absolutely right, Pat. And I think COVID pushed all employers, as you know very well, to think about and reimagine what benefits services can look like, mm-hmm. employees, long term, because now our lens has expanded to think about safety and health equity and health services in a very different way. And so we, in terms of mental health and your know, work-life integration type needs, BU, like many large higher ed institutions and all higher ed in general, had to think about how do we retain our employees in a work environment and work modality that offers them some flexibility, but still makes sure that our mission of creating a student experience and impacting students' lives every day, how can that be managed? And so that's not an easy answer for any higher ed institution. At BU, we we piloted and pushed a policy around flexible work days for specific staff because we know that it can't be for everyone. And Mm. so we have been learning along the way the benefits and successes of that and then also learning things that we had to do during the pandemic and probably will shift a little bit into more flexible work scheduling needs as opposed to full days off for everyone who are eligible. But that's still yet to be determined. But overall, we're definitely willing to learn because we definitely want our employees to feel that we're being innovative, that we're remaining in the innovative space. We're just so large that we absolutely have to be in that space. What we know though, like many of my other colleagues in the non-higher ed sector, as you mentioned, Pat, we have to meet our business needs and our mission at the end of the day. And that is clearly making sure 24 seven our students need to met. So we know that there's a balance there and we know there's an intersectionality to make sure our employees are taken care of with a flexible work environment. We just, it's unfolding every day as we learn. More to come on that for sure. <laughs> no, great. No, that's great. And the other, one of the other things that I know you're passionate about and maybe, maybe unique not unique, but just different in the in a university setting as opposed to private sector DE and I. And yes. how, as the leader at a university, how do you sort of try and meet whatever goals you have set in this climate of tough economy and trying to do yeah. all the right things? Is that something that obviously I know everyone's focused on, but are we still in the infancy there or how are we doing? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Pat. I think, as I mentioned, many things, and I know it's so great to be able to talk to you about this because you do it so well. Mm-hmm. Your team, so many challenges have emerged in terms of better understanding what what we need to offer in terms of health equity 
services and making sure that our outcomes are more of our focus in terms of the services for benefits as opposed to just doing the traditional, this is what we've always offered, the utilization looks good, everybody is moving in the right direction, we'll just keep it going. I think what shifted because of the pandemic was to really start having more insight into what do our employees need that they're not asking for. And that brings me to something I am very passionate about. (laughs) We talk often about long-term planning, as I mentioned, health equity, financial literacy, which all are benefits, operational services, and things that we often segue into conversations with our employees, even if that's not what they came in to ask for, because it's necessary to talk about. So from that long-term planning perspective, I have been adamant that we need to think about and promote education and awareness around long-term care insurance, where we know 10 million plus, right, people today are being diagnosed with some form of illness, disease, or condition, 10 million plus alone is just Alzheimer's as of today. And the type of services that can be benefited with long-term care insurance early on are astronomical in terms of the value add when those situations arise. In my role, as you can imagine, Pat, I often get asked to speak on HR topics across the country. And so recently I was in Atlanta Georgia, there's a company headquartered there. It's an insurance startup company working with partners, large insurance companies like yourself, Mm -hmm. offering services to bridge communications using digital tools and digital platform tools to reach underrepresented group members who often haven't been traditionally members of long-term care insurance type benefits that they're thinking about right away. Why? Because they've often gone to open enrollment saw the traditional plan services and said, okay, I'll just sign up for this. And so we need to really reach those employees and those impacted members and say, have you thought about these other benefits? Because this is where we are with mental health, self-care, and these types of programs can really help you. Long-term care insurance, I think, is one of those very hidden, golden nugget type services that most people don't even think about unless they're talking to an insurance person or benefits representative who can connect them to an insurance representative to learn about it in more detail. So the What If Collection is starting to do that for members in rural community, Mm -hmm. represented group members where membership has been really low. And my hope and goal is that they will contact you and pick up the phone and call you and your teams to try to really promote these types of services that have these long-term benefits. And what I mean by that is long-term insurance care, long-term care insurance at age 35 is very different at age 55. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, early, right? yeah, I was going to say that, Amanda, as you're talking, I said, most people don't think about long-term care insurance until you need long-term care insurance. And that's not the time to, to think about it. It's almost yeah. life insurance, but you're right. Yeah. And just for people, we've talked about it probably not recently, but in the past, when we have a, Amanda, we have a show that we dedicate towards retirement on the benefit side. Mike and his team do it on the financial side. We do it on the benefit side. And we talk about Social Security and Medicare. And most people, and again, this is the education, which again, is it's coincidence that I'm talking to someone from higher ed, but most people don't understand that Medicare and your health insurance don't cover the things that you're going to need if you need long-term care insurance, like home care and just getting on with your daily life, not the medical piece, just living. And you're right. Right. 
historically, and especially in this part of the country where the costs are so high, it is very difficult. And that's why you will see, as you are seeing with all the Medicare companies that are popping up as our population ages, you're going to see a lot more interest and probably a little bit more activity in the long-term care market because the market will be so big. Historically, it has never been great financially for insurers because it is so costly. And to try, to your point, to try and get the premiums to do that, you have really have to start getting people. My first long-term care policy I bought when I was 30. So, and you can lock it in and that's why... <laughs> That's why some yeah. of the insurance companies don't like it because we've locked in a benefit for a premium that is probably going to pay off in multiples if I ever need it. Trying to educate, and to your point, sometimes when people, and you know this from, you, you do it more often and longer than I have, when someone right. comes into HR, not in crisis, but with an issue, whether it's family, usually there's more to it, right? That's right. what you're saying. You're saying that hey, the reason I have an attendance problem at work is not because I have an attendance problem at work. I can physically, I can drive myself to work, but I'm worried about taking care of my parents, my siblings, whatever. Absolutely. Absolutely, Pat. And that's where HR becomes Mm -hmm. more than just, oh, the people I go to when I need a form filled out or Mm -hmm. think we're getting there. I think there's a lot more emphasis on what it is that, that, our HR folks do because now you're more visible. Like I've never seen so many. It's great. Like you said, every, everything I go to on the insurance side, we always right. like to have, we're having an event in March or later this month with, with an HR. It's talking about benefits, but we want an HR person's perspective. You just don't want to hear from the insurance people. That's great. And obviously what, again, for good or bad, one of the things that employees get from their employer is the opportunity to purchase either benefits that they wouldn't necessarily be able to get on their own or the price would be better because we're buying a, a group plan. Like all the things that you offer, Amanda, for your employees, your medical, your dental, your life, we're buying them in obviously bulk with 11,000 employees, even though yeah. you know, technically you're self-insured and you're paying for most of them, but it's a little, it's a little different. And those people, I always say, and no one's ever corrected me, so I guess I'm right. I always say no one ever comes, no one's going to, no one wants, is going to say, hey, I want to work at Boston University because of the benefits. Obviously, there's an attraction there, either the work, the people, the opportunity, there's something else attracting them. And they're not going to leave if everything else is the same, but the benefits aren't up there, but they still are important to people. In all the surveys that we do, it's usually one, two, or three. I will admit, though, Amanda, in my stumbling on the website, I, yeah. I came across the tuition remission benefit. Absolutely. And, and, and that's one that if uh, eight years ago I knew about, I may have had a different career. But my, no, listen, I totally agree with you, Pat. <laughs> I was going to say, believe it or not, at the that because we offer such unique benefits and because they're so rich and yep. so worthy to, to impacting lives and family members, a lot of our employees love staying at BU because of the benefits, to your point. Yes, yes, and I would too. I have three children, and tuition remission would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But again, I will say that that is probably something that it's great it's a great benefit. Obviously, it's a great university. I think I shared with you earlier my BU story that I got in, which was great, but I couldn't afford it at the time, so I didn't yeah. end up going there. But but for people 
like that's the job, right? From HR, that's to, the job. Is, Absolutely, you've got to make people's experience great. So now I want to ask you. This is what I ask my students all the time because some of them are in HR. What is the well, best? What is the best part of your job as the leader of HR, Amanda? Oh, thank you for that question. <laughs> for somebody like me who lives, breathes, and does HR mm-hmm. work every day, I very easily can answer this question. I think that over the years, the one connecting thread, no matter how it looked or what the outcome may have been in terms of being different, the one connecting thread was being able to impact someone's life on a personal and professional level. Because what we do, is exactly as you've just described so well, is that when you're in a situation that is taking your attention away and whether it's negative, sometimes it's positive and it's just a lot going on. But when you're able to manage that situation better by thinking through creative solutions with someone that helps you walk away saying, oh my gosh, I can actually do my best work now because I just had XYZ handled and managed, now it's not taking my time away and sapping my energy to figure it out myself. And that is at the crux of what my teams do every single day. I have compensation analysts sometimes that are called about where to go to get faculty staff assistance office of services. Yep. Or we may be, it may be their HR business partner who they call to find out more about what changed with the tuition remission plan. Like we cross lanes every single day, our 100 staff. And what I didn't mention is we partner with 140 HR professionals across our community. And so we do that path intentionally to make sure that we have full 100 HR folks under my office. And then we have our HR liaisons who partner with us to make sure our employees every day in their departments get immediate responses to questions that they have. And I think that is probably the most impactful work that we do because we understand that those situations impact your life. And when we're doing our job well, then your life at work becomes better. And that is probably the most rewarding compliment that I receive often from our employees when I get those compliments about my team members. It's the greatest feeling. Yeah, no, you do have a great team there, too. And as we both pointed out, you have a very long service team there, especially on the benefits side. And we're talking with, uh, just for people who are just tuning in, Amanda Bailey, who is the uh, vice president of HR from Boston University. A couple of other questions in the 10 minutes we have left, Amanda. From your perspective, what's the biggest Mm -hmm. challenge that you have in HR, whether it's specific to to just your current environment or just in general? What do you see as the one or two challenges that you have? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is going to continue to make sure we meet employees where they are. As we continue to talk, as you mentioned, Pat, about the important experience that is our responsibility and goal and making sure we make the best experience possible. The complexities of doing that are growing exponentially every day because what we know is that our employees, as I mentioned, work at home, right? Mm-hmm. Flexible work environments, and now they live at work, right? It's like it's, it's flipped a little bit, right? We have employees who want to have engagement in very different ways at work. And, um, meaningful ways that we are needing to be more creative and innovative in how we do that. That's the challenge ahead of us in order to make sure that it's no longer even going to, I think, 
become work-life integration. It used to be work-life balance and it moved right. to work-life integration. And what we're finding is that with a different and renewed way of working, it's work at home, live at work. It's both <laughs> now becoming this interplay. And so our challenge is making sure, how do we sit right at that intersection of making sure those experiences for our employees, personally and professionally, right, are meeting them where they are. And mm. so the other challenge I would mention is something we talked about before, is making sure that as our teams anticipate shaping that experience, learning more about the questions that we don't hear from our employees and trying to anticipate what those are. And I am really after every space and place I can think about to make sure we are positively impacting the mental health of our employees. And that squarely fits into the work that you do. So I suspect, Pat, you and I could be in lockstep trying to solve some of these challenges together. Yes, no, it's a question comes up every day. What are a couple of things, if any, Amanda, that you guys have done since, not that I don't want to say the pandemic's over because I think the lingering, as you mentioned, impacts still with us, even if they're not physically apparent from masking and distancing. But what are some of the things that you've done to address? You mentioned the mental health piece earlier, but anything else you guys have done either creatively or just instinctively because of the pandemic? Yeah, you're so right. We have we have an extraordinarily large research enterprise confidently led by our vice president of research and have a very highly competent, reputable chief health officer, which we couldn't be more lucky to have her, Dr. Judy Platt. So we the two of them work constantly with their teams to eat and evolve our health guidance affecting all members of our community. And so BU was one of the few institutions that built its own laboratory on-site, making sure that our employees were tested multiple times throughout the days, along with mask and guidance, and consistently looking at the research so that we could be on the pulse of understanding when does it change, when could we offer mask-optional guidelines, and that's where we are today. So our optional guidance around masks, as we said before, you're meeting employees where they are. Some of our employees feel very comfortable wearing masks in large settings, in small settings, traveling on our shuttles, or they may want to wear it. And And if they're comfortable not wearing it, we do strongly recommend that if they are in large settings to continue wearing the mask, just because that is a precaution. And when we are in large gatherings, and especially during flu season, tends to really bring down and mitigate risks. Not that it results in disease or latent diseases, but it does mitigate the risk of potentially gaining one. And so that's landed on the optional guidance. And as we further move into the endemic, we suspect that it will um, it will away and we will just allow employees to wear a mask at their option because of their own situation. Yeah, you mentioned, I, I got a chuckle because I always laugh when I see it. People who have never seen it aren't going to get this, but you mentioned ma- people having wearing masks on the shuttle. And every mm. time I see the B-U-S, the bus, yes, I, yes. I get a chuckle because I know someone had to really think about that to do the B-U-S. <laughs> The BUS is the shuttle bus. The other part and probably a harder question is what's the part of the job that you dislike the most? And you can say you don't, but if there is anything, (laughs) let me 
forgive me, is, do you guys have any international locations, Amanda? We do. Uh, BU actually has one of the largest student international programs of, oh. um, within the higher ed you know, sector. So we have staff who work internationally to support our students every day. Yeah, Willis Wang is our director of global programs, moving that very large international population every single day. And it obviously is operating in, just operating in different campuses is a it's a little bit of a challenge because you know you can't give the same the same the same Absolutely. the same benefits to everyone you have to change it and like I said you've got the range of employees from police down to administration so it's been very very difficult but I want to close with I will give you guys a plug on your careers website because I've been on it all morning so I might as well <laughs> throw it out there and there are a lot of opportunities you don't have to be a professor or faculty there's plenty mm-hmm. out there but if you go to bu.edu/hr/careers you will come on the careers website and you can search around and i think down the right the right hand side will show you the the benefits at least the kind of the general ones that are listed there but again it's yeah. it's a tough it's just a tough market to recruit people and like i said people don't aren't going to be, oh my God, I'm going to go to that place because they have great benefits and days of the unlimited paid time off and some of those other gimmicky things, Mm -hmm. pool tables, ping pong tables (laughs) in the, from the tech startups and all that, all those things are a little bit, people want a little bit, as you said, I think the long-term care thing, I think is something for a good discussion for almost a whole show because that, that is something that people don't pay enough attention to and they really should. It's more of a, hey, what am I? Like when people ask us, Amanda, hey, what benefits aren't we offering? That's usually one that we say. Excellent. Yeah. But no, thank you, Amanda. I appreciate the time this morning. Great insights. And hopefully we've educated some people not only on long-term care and the need there, but also on what it is to be a life of an HR person at a prominent Boston University. So thank you, Amanda. I appreciate it. And thank you all. And we'll see you after the break. Thank you, Pat. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.